Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, uh, this morning, this word that God's put on my heart, it's a little bit of a mid-year heart check. We're, half, we're more than halfway through the year. Christmas is coming. And uh, it's kind of like halfway through the year, how, where are we at in following Jesus? What's God doing in our heart? I've got three questions I want to ask you as just a bit of a heart check this morning. And what I'd really love us to do this morning, I'd love everybody to get the chance to pray for somebody, all right? If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not sure about all this prayer stuff, you're very, very welcome here. Great to have you here, but you're not going to get forced to pray for anybody, if you're here and you're an introvert and your heart's just started racing, you know, I'm going to have to pray for someone. You won't be forced to pray for anybody, but I'd love you all to have the opportunity to pray for someone. So maybe as uh, I'm speaking from God's Word this morning, just let God put a prayer on your heart for someone around you and I'll uh, lead us through how we might do that a little later on. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a light to our feet. Thank you that your word feeds and nourishes our soul. God, thank you that your word is our ultimate guide and points us to Jesus. God, this morning as we read, would you help us to see Jesus and follow him more closely? I ask him, his name. Amen. Well, just before COVID hit in uh, 2020, we said goodbye to a uh, much-loved member of our family. Our dog, Max, had been with us nearly the whole time we'd been in uh, Queensland. We got him the first Christmas. We uh, moved from Sydney to uh, Brisbane and uh, he's been part of our family the whole time that we have lived in, in Brisbane. The last few years of his life, he was on all sorts of arthritis medication because he was getting old, 16, pretty old, uh, for a border collie. But one morning, early March 2020, I got up and Max couldn't get up. He was lame in both of his back legs and he couldn't stand up and we just knew it was time uh, to say goodbye. But none of the girls in our family could bear taking him to the vet. And so me and Joey bundled him into the car and I remember getting to the vet surgery and we carefully carried him out of the car on a blanket. We uh, carefully carried him into the vet surgery and we sat with him on the floor of that surgery and we comforted him. We patted him. We told him what a good dog he'd been. We spoke tenderly to him. And we tried to comfort him in his moment of need. There was overwhelming compassion in our hearts. We were feeding him little chalky doggy treats that I don't think we'd given him since he was a puppy. But we just wanted to bless him. We cared for him. And here we are, two grown men sitting on the floor of a vet surgery, tears just streaming down our faces quite unexpectedly. 
as we said goodbye to our dog. Anybody here or online can identify with the pain and the grief, the compassion in your heart as you say goodbye to a family pet. Come on, just show show our hands. There's a whole, most of us here in this room. The funny thing is, Max wasn't a perfect dog. In fact, he was a pretty annoying dog at times. You know, he, he's ripped up the grass. He dug up the, the garden. Whenever there was a thunderstorm, he scratched and made a mess of all of our doors uh, around the house if there was no one home to let him inside. He, he actually chewed through one of our timber gates. He chewed a hole in the gate. When I patched the gate up so he couldn't get through it anymore, he pushed the gate so hard for so long that he pulled the ramset bolts out of the wall and he pushed the gate over. You know, he could be a pretty annoying dog. There was the time he was actually in the back seat of our car years later when we were driving back to Sydney for Christmas with our family and one of the geniuses in our family decided to feed him about two kilos of leftover Thai food that was in the fridge and halfway somewhere around Coffs Harbour it exploded out of Max. He's sitting in the back seat with a big smile on his face. The rest of us have got our head out the window, driving about 150 k's down the freeway because the smell was atrocious the rest of the trip. Max could be a pretty annoying dog. But as we said goodbye to him, our hearts were full with compassion. We were kind. We comforted him. We cared for him. My question for us today is, what if we treated people, even annoying people, even painful people, with the same kindness that we treated dead dogs? Because people can be pretty annoying. People can make a mess of things. People can wreck some of the plans in our lives. You know, people, you know, can leave, you know, their, their stench and their rubbish in our lives if we let it, you know, for a long time to come. People can be annoying. People can cause pain to our lives. But what if we showed the same kindness to people that we showed to dead dogs? See, I actually think our world needs a touch of kindness. Come put your hands up if you think right now our world just needs a touch of kindness. What if? What if the church was actually known? Now, there's a whole lot of things the church is known for in our nation right now. But what if the church was known for showing extravagant kindness to people? What if the world was shown? known for showing extravagant kindness to people. I want to read a story today about a guy in the Old Testament who felt so low, he felt like a dead dog. It's actually the way that he described himself. He was feeling so low, so unwanted, so excluded, in so much pain that he felt like a dead dog. And we see in this story a king 
that shows extravagant kindness to this guy. 2 Samuel chapter 9, let's read it together. David, who's become the king, asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there still no one, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul, Saul to whom I can show, listen to this, God's kindness. He's saying, I want to show God's kindness, not just human kindness, I want to show God's kindness. Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Now, Lodabar simply means nowhere or no pasture. It's kind of nowhereville, no man's land. It's where you go when you want no one to find you. Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. Mephibosheth, everybody say Mephibosheth. It's hard, all right? I've, I've been stumbling over it all week. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all... The members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. I've called this message, Our King is Kind to Dead Dogs. I'm pretty confident it's the only message with that title that you've heard. Our King is Kind to dead dogs. I need to give a bit of context to explain why this has any relevance to our lives today. Firstly, Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a great warrior. He was a great leader. But somewhere through his leadership, he turned away from God. His heart turned away from God. And God said, that's it. I'm going to anoint a new king. And so he speaks to Samuel, who is the prophet who wrote this history book, 2 Samuel, that we just read from this morning, says to Samuel, says, I'm going to show you the next king of Israel. And Samuel turns up at Jesse's household and all of the, the big, strong sons come out. And God says, no, it's none of them until finally there's just a runt of a shepherd boy left. The one who just was running errands for his big brothers. And God says, he's the one. I don't look at physical stature. 
I actually look at the heart, and he's got the right heart. But David also became a great warrior. You know, they started singing songs like Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. He was a great warrior, a great leader, and King Saul got very jealous of David and spends a lot of time chasing him around the countryside trying to kill him. Now, the miraculous bit in this story is that David and Jonathan, who's Saul's son, heir to the throne, actually become really good friends, even though his dad's trying to kill him. They become great mates. And David says to Jonathan, when I do become the king, I'm going to be kind to your family. And he never forgot it. And David and Saul, uh, sorry, Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle one day. And David is placed upon the throne. And as Saul and Jonathan were killed, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, fled for his life. Well, in fact, he was only five years old. And so a servant picked him up and fled with Mephibosheth. Because what would normally happen when a new king took the throne? They would wipe out the dynasty that was before them. They'd wipe out all of the other family members of the last king so that they had no right to the throne. And Mephibosheth's servant understands this. So picks up this five-year-old boy and flees towards Lodabar to go and hide where no one will find them in Nowhereville. But as they're fleeing, she drops, or he drops, sorry, Mephibosheth, and he becomes lame in both feet. He gets dropped very badly and he never walks again, which isn't ideal. When you're living in an agricultural society and you need to farm to live and to provide for yourself. And he's unable to do that. And nor is it ideal when the king wants to kill you and you've got no way of fleeing. But what we see here in this story is that King David doesn't go searching for Mephibosheth to kill him but actually goes searching for Mephibosheth to show kindness to him. And the reason that this story, ancient story, so removed from the culture that we live in today, the reason that it actually is relevant and explains something of the kindness of God to us today is that the king of Israel was always a picture, a foreshadowing, a forerunner of a king that would one day come and show kindness to all people, that would restore all people. You see, the king of Israel was simply a picture of King Jesus who was to come. And so here in this story, we have a king who goes searching for a lost, broken person to show kindness to. And we've got a king who's come searching for lost, broken people to show kindness to. You see, our king is kind to dead dogs. I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know if you feel 
quite as low as a dead dog. I don't know if you feel like you've been out in the sun, you've got a bit hard and crusty, there's a bit of fur missing, there's kind of a bit of a mess, you know you should get up and just get going, but you can't because you're dead. And the best you can hope for is that someone will come and scrape you off the road with a shovel. I mean, that's pretty low. But that's how Mephibosheth feels. He, he feels lame. He feels useless. He feels like he deserves death. And yet the king shows extravagant, unexpected kindness to him. And I want to encourage you today that our king shows extravagant, unexpected kindness to us. He goes searching. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just wait for us to turn up, but our king, he's actually searching through this room this morning. He's searching for hearts and minds to show kindness to. No matter how you feel, no matter what you've done, he's not, he's not against you. He's actually here to show kindness to you. He's actually here to draw you into a place of intimacy, to restore your soul. He's the kindest person you will ever meet. Our king is kind. He searches for lost and broken people to show kindness to. When he walked on the earth, you know, one of my favorite stories is when there's a whole crowd of people gathering around Jesus. You know, probably imagine all of this room all packed in tightly together, you know, around Jesus following this miracle worker as he wanders through town. And there's one woman in the crowd who's trying to go unnoticed. She doesn't want anyone to see her because she's not supposed to be there. She's got a medical condition which has sent her broke 12 years of uh, trying to get well. She spent all her money on doctors and she still hasn't got well. She's got no money left and she can't be part of the community. She wants to go unnoticed because she's supposed to be out with the lepers because she's unclean. But she's desperate to get healed. And so she wanders into the crowd to see how kind Jesus really is, how powerful he really is. And she reaches out and touches his coat. And Jesus stops immediately and says, who just touched me? And, and all of the disciples are going, Jesus, there's people all around you. Lots of people are touching you. He says, no, I know the power has just left me. And eventually, this woman comes whimpering to Jesus' feet. Almost picture, you know, a dog who's been caught out in the wrong place, coming whimpering at their master's feet with tail between their legs. This woman comes whimpering and afraid. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus says this to her, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, I love all of you in this room, but there's only three people I call daughter. And I have to confess that I love them more than I love you. I was actually there when they were born. I saw them take their first step. 
I carried them when they were in tears. I celebrated with them when they won a victory. They got a special place in my heart that nobody else can take. They're my daughter. You notice the first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth when this woman comes whimpering at his feet? Daughter. Do you know it's the only place in the New Testament that he calls someone daughter? He wants this poor, broken, lost woman to know that she's valued. Shows extravagant kindness to her. He makes sure the whole community knows that she's been healed and she can be included in community. She wants to go unnoticed, but Jesus won't let her. You see, our king is kind to dead dogs. He doesn't just wait for people to come to him. He's searching all the time. he's, He's noticing people. He wants to show kindness to you today. He's just looking for people who reach out and take a hold of that kindness by faith. As I said before, I believe our world is in need of a touch of kindness. My first question for us this morning, a little bit of a heart check. Who are you noticing that you can show extravagant kindness to? Who in your family, who in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, could you show extravagant kindness to? Not a kindness that they deserve, but God's kindness. A kindness that just is unexpected, extravagant, undeserved. It might be someone you need to forgive. It might be someone that you can, that's in great need and pain that you can bless. It might be someone that's been really annoying. You can show great kindness to them. You see, you can't change the world for everybody, but every single person in this room can change the world for someone. You, you can't show kindness to a city, but together we can. Who are you noticing? Some of you right now, you've got a person in mind. God's just dropping a person into your heart. You can show kindness to what if the church in this nation was known for showing extravagant kindness? How might it change this nation? Our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices lost and broken people and he restores what we've lost. You see, to restore is to return something to its original condition or its original position. You know, when something got lost in our house for 16 years, we were reasonably confident it would turn up again, but it was never in its original condition. My thongs and shoes would come back all chewed up. You know, my daughters, when they were young, their dolls would come back, but they weren't in original condition. Poor old Barbie got swallowed whole one time. She came back, (laughs) but not in original condition. She was never the same again. I said to Susan, we're not buying another Barbie, just wash her off. (laughs) Never the same. It was the, the, the Easter 
where he decided to eat all of the... I told you this dog could be annoying. He decided to eat all of the kids' Easter eggs, wrapper and all. Oh, he had a tummy ache, the poor dog. We found, he returned the wrappers, the alfoil, all over the backyard between Easter and Christmas. But nothing was in its original condition. But here in this story, Mephibosheth is restored to original position, original condition. He's living in Nowhereville and he gets restored to the palace. He's living in the wilderness and he gets invited to the king's table. He's living as an outcast and he gets invited into the king's family. He's restored to his original position. Listen to what David says to him. He says, don't be afraid, David said to him. I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. He didn't just give him a block of land that he could make a living from. He gave him the king's plot of land. It was the most fertile land in the valley. He didn't just say, you know, you can be, you know, uh, a servant and you can eat in the kitchen. He says, you're at my table. Nothing will be spared. Everything that's mine will be yours. And, and King Jesus' most famous parable tells a story a little like this. It tells a story of a son who got lost for completely different reasons. A son that was deserving of death for completely different reasons. A son who went to his father and said, I wish you were dead because I want all of your money. His father gave him the money. But to do it, he would have had to sell a third of his land. He wouldn't have had the cash laying around under his mattress. He sold the family farm to give it to his son. And the son went and wasted all of the money on prostitutes and, and wine and wild living until there was nothing left. And he was living in a pigsty. He was eating the pig scraps and he knew that he was about to die. In fact, he knew that if he went home, he deserved death. The community had the right to put him to death for what he'd done. He'd ripped off the family. He'd ripped off the whole community. And he heads for home. And the father sees him coming. He's still a long way off. And the father runs to him and embraces him. And he puts his arm around him, partly to protect him and partly to let him know that he was loved. And then he restores him. He says, put ring on his finger and put the family coat back on him. He restores him to his original position, even though he deserves death. Put shoes on his feet. It was a picture of no longer being a slave, but you're now a free man. He restores his purpose as a free man and a landowner. And then he throws an incredible party and he restores his joy. 
the kindness of God. He restores that which we've lost. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've lost something, you're halfway through the year and it feels like you've lost joy, maybe you've lost purpose, maybe you've lost community, you're feeling a little displaced from community right now. It's time to join a life group like Tim talked about before. Maybe you've lost confidence. I really felt like I was praying this morning of some people here who just lost confidence. You've lost confidence in God and what God has called you to do and God's restoring confidence in you today. Or maybe he's restoring intimacy. You know, Rembrandt painted a famous painting of the parable of the prodigal son. He was really captured with this story. It's become one of his most famous paintings worth hundreds of millions of dollars now. But we see a son in rags with nothing left and the patriarch of the family just wrapping his arms around him and pulling him close to his chest. It's an intimate embrace, particularly for the culture of the time. Henri Nouwen says this when he used to look at this photo. He says, I have, oh, look at this painting. He says, I have to kneel before the father, put my ear against his chest and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. And I wonder if that's just what's God saying to us in this season. There's an intimacy that needs to be restored in your relationship with God. And the invitation, God is never there with a stick wanting to chastise you for what you've done wrong. He's always there with his arms open wide, ready to embrace you and draw you close so that you can listen to his heartbeat without interruption. And it's in this place that day by day, he restores our soul. My second question for us this morning is, what is God restoring in you that you've lost? For some of you, it might be joy, it might be community, it might be purpose, it might be confidence. For others of you, it will be intimacy. He's kind. Whatever you've lost, he can restore it to original condition, original position. He's not wanting you to just live on the scraps. Lastly, our king is kind of dead dogs. He invites us to eat at his table every day. You know, Susan actually taught our dog a whole bunch of tricks. Taught him to uh, play dead and to roll over, round up the chickens. In fact, we had a very, very spiritual dog. Susan taught him to say grace. She'd get, it was embarrassing actually. She used to do it and people came around. She'd get him down before his bowl of food and he'd put his paw up in her hand. She'd say grace and he would not touch, didn't matter how hungry he was, he would not touch the food until she said amen. As soon as she said a very spiritual dog. I'm sure he's in dog heaven right now. But one of the things she didn't train him to do, and it annoyed me for the whole 16 years, he'd constantly walk around our table outside where we'd eat a lot looking for food. 
He didn't want the dry dog biscuits that were in his bowl. He wanted the food that was on our table. Fair enough too. Here we have Mephibosheth feeling like a dead dog. And the king says to him, I'm not feeding you any scraps. You're going to eat at the table like one of my own sons. And he did. Nothing was spared. Everything in the land for him to enjoy. And we got a king that says the same thing to us. He stands up at, you know, one of the, the, the feasts where they would stop and remember the goodness of God and they'd eat this great feast and Jesus stood up in this moment and said, I am the bread of life. If you are hungry, come to me and eat and you'll be satisfied. He says, I've got something to feed you. I want to feed you. From my word, I want to feed you in in intimate relationship with me. I want to feed you in a way that will nourish your soul. You see, we are what we eat. Now, we don't like to admit this, and I hate this fact. I wish I could eat whatever I wanted and stay healthy. But we know we can't. We know what we eat will actually determine the health and the shape of our bodies. And it's the same spiritually. What we eat, what we take into our souls will actually determine the health of our soul and the shape of our lives. You are what you eat. I don't know if you've ever been to lunch with someone recently and they've ordered a hamburger with a lot loaded fries, uh, cheesy garlic bread, side of onion rings, some mud cake with ice cream and cream, and a Diet Coke. (laughs) And you think, that's stupid. What difference is the Diet Coke going to make? When you're eating all of those calories, the Diet Coke's not going to be the thing that shapes your body. Now, it would be equally stupid to think that we could exist on a spiritual diet of three hours of Netflix binge watching, two hours of randomly scrolling Facebook, an hour of being belittled by the boss, half an hour of hot air talkback radio, and two and a half minutes of reading every day with Jesus and thinking that that two and a half minutes of every day with Jesus is actually going to shape our lives and nourish our soul. It would be about as stupid as ordering a Diet Coke with five and a half thousand calories. You are what you eat. You know, my grandfather, when he retired, started a market garden that could have fed half of Sydney. He was a workaholic and just had to find something to do. And when he got too old to be actually able to, you know, carry uh, fertilizer and stuff uh, on his ute, 
he'd send me down to the produce store to get all the stuff he needed. And I started going down there a few times and uh, I noticed every time I was there, the, the, the guy that worked there was chewing on a dog biscuit. Obviously, they were free if you worked at the produce store, perks of working at a produce store. And I noticed he looked a little bit like a dog. You know, he kind of had mangy hair and hairy arms and sort of a scraggly beard. And I kind of, one day I kind of turned around to see if he had a tail hanging out the back. Because you are what you eat. My question for us today, I wonder if some of us, King Jesus has spread a table before us to satisfy our soul. And we're nibbling. Yeah, disgusting. (laughs) You're looking at the senior pastor eating a dog biscuit and you're going, that's disgusting and it's stupid. But I wonder if some of us are doing the same thing in our spiritual lives. I mean, you can live on these. They're not very tasty. And they're beneath my calling. And they're beneath your calling. But some of us are living on a spiritual diet that's just way beneath our calling. Jesus is so kind. He's inviting us to his table every day. I want to satisfy your soul. My last question this morning, what are you eating from the king's table every day? Halfway through the year, maybe January 1, you wrote down your journal somewhere, this year I'm going to eat kale for breakfast every morning, I'm going to do 500 push-ups every day, and I'm going to turn the TV off and pray every morning. And we're now halfway through the year. This morning you had Fruit Loops with chocolate milk for breakfast. You did two push-ups last night looking for the remote under the lounge. (laughs) And you're too addicted to Wordle to pray in the morning. And it's kind of like a reset moment. How you coming to the table and eating from the king's table so that your life is actually shaped like Jesus. You know, many of you, if you've listened to me preach over the years, you've heard me talk about soap journaling, which I try and do every day. I don't get there every day, but soap stands for scripture. Just read the Bible till I find a verse that speaks to me. It's how this message came about. I just read this verse about dead dogs and it started me thinking and message came to me. I just write it out. Oh, observation. Just observe what God's doing in this situation. A, application. Just stopping to write this stuff down helps me because I love to keep moving. I like to be interrupted by things. I like to be active. A, application. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to make this real in my life? P is a prayer. I just write out a prayer. For some of you, that might be something that will help you eat at the king's table every day. 
The thing I've done recently, which I haven't really done in the past, this is new for me, partly because I've had a new car for the first time in my life in the last couple of years, and I've worked out the technology so I can listen to the Bible and I can listen to other people's preaching while I'm driving. I'm doing a lot more driving these days than I used to. That's just feeding my soul. Maybe some of us have got to use our time in the car or on the train a little bit better. The other thing that's been really important for me is memorizing Scripture. In the last month, just Colossians chapter 3, just a couple of verses there have just been Scripture I keep eating, I keep regurgitating on, I keep ruminating on. It simply says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on his throne. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because your life is now hidden with God in Christ. And when there's all sorts of things happening around me that cause me confusion and anxiety and there's conflict that I have to face, I just keep setting my heart on things above where Jesus is seated on his throne. And I look around our nation and I see so many people, <clears throat> if you just looked at the census again, less and less people declaring faith in Jesus. And I'm not going to go into all the nuances of those stats. But Acts 13, a couple of verses have been really powerful for me this year. The church in Antioch, just like us, it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. After they prayed and fasted, they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them off. Simple couple of verses. But because of that moment, 250 years later, Christianity was the dominant religion of the Roman Empire and the message of Jesus began to spread around the world. It's happened before. It can happen again. I tell you, Scripture will just start to fill your heart with faith as you memorise His Word and feast on it every day. Sometimes feasting on the same Word every day will begin to shape your life, begin to shape your heart, begin to shape your mind. What are you eating at the King's table? Every day. As I said, I want us to pray for each other this morning. If you're here this morning and you just know there's someone that God's just dropped into your heart to show extravagant kindness to. Might be someone in your family, your workplace, someone you're going to show forgiveness to, someone you're going to bless with a meal. I don't know what it is. But this morning you go, yeah, I've got someone I can show that kind of kindness to. Can I just get you to stand where you are if that's you? Just stand for a minute. Come on. There's a whole bunch of you. You've got someone to show extravagant kindness to. Awesome. Just stay standing for a minute. Those of you who just, you got halfway through the year and you're going, oh, I want to change my spiritual diet. I'm snacking on stuff beneath my calling. It's just been a reminder today to come back to the king's table. Eat every day. Let him shape your life. If that's you, can I just get you to stand where you are? Come on, it's just a change in your spiritual diet. 
cool. Now, now the bit is, it's not scary. This is the best, this is a fun part of church for me. Find someone to go and pray with. Come on, just, just go, and, go and stand with someone around you. Just put a hand on their shoulder and just begin to pray. Come on. You know what they're standing for because I just told you. I'm going I'm to get the prayer team to come out the front. I've got one more group of people I'm going to call out the front. But just if you see someone standing, just begin to stand with them. You might have to jump some pews. That's fine. Just stand with them and begin to pray. Come on. We all get to play here. Just come on, jump up, find someone that you can pray with. If you're standing next to someone, pray for each other. I've got, I got one more group of people I want to call down the front. Susan and Fred and Rose and some of our prayer team are down here. If this morning is just something God's restoring in you that you've lost, restoring joy, restoring purpose, just restoring that which is lost, come down the front and our prayer team would love to pray for you now. Come on, we can all stand together, but just come down the front. There's something that God's restoring. I know God's restoring confidence in some of you. Joy, purpose, community. Come on, just start to come down the front. I'm going to pray. The rest of us stand together. If you're not actually standing with someone, just begin to pray for someone from a distance. If you need God to restore something in your soul, just walk to the front. Come on, let's stand together while I pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your extravagant kindness to us. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that when we were deserving of death, he took our place. He took our death so that we could receive new life. Jesus, thank you. This your blood restores us to original condition and original position. God, by the power of the blood of Jesus this morning, would you bring restoration in people's souls, restoration in relationships, restoration in families, restoration, restore joy, God. God, this morning, I pray for those. It's just a, it's a change to spiritual diet. God, just, just put something really clear just a really clear light for them to follow. A clear light that just shows them the way to sit at your table every day and to enjoy you, to enjoy your goodness. God, I pray today that Bibles would be opened, that you would teach us to put our ears to your heart without interruption. God, you would restore our soul. And Father, I pray for those this morning, whether you're online or whether you're in the room, I pray for those who just put a, a person on our heart to show extravagant kindness to. God, I pray that that kindness that pours out from us, it'll be God's kindness and it'll point people to Jesus. People will see you, Lord Jesus, as kindness is poured out from your church. 
God, give us courage to obey that prompting you've put in our heart this morning. And God, I pray for breakthrough in the lives of people that receive your kindness. You would heal them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just keep praying. Don't have to stop praying, but let's stand together. The team's going to lead us in, uh, in singing about the kindness of God. So if you're not standing, let's stand together. If you want to keep praying, keep praying. Let's sing together. For I spoke a word, you were singing over me. been so, so good to me, for I took a breath, you breathed your life in me, you have been so, so kind to me, oh, the
because of his great love for us, because of his great mercy for us, he gave us grace and new life in Christ. It's good news. It's good news we get to share in both word and deed with the world around us. Find someone to show the extravagant kindness of God to this week. And come back next week. Bring a friend with you, starting a new series in Ephesians, looking at our identity in Christ. I believe it's going to be a powerful series uh, for many of us as we just look at the power of God's Word and the new identity that we have in Christ that will shape our lives, shape the way we live. Hey, if you'd love someone to pray with you, please, it's not too late. Come down the front and uh, get someone to pray for you this morning. God uh, bless you. Hey, read Ephesians 1 during the week. If you don't know where to start with some Bible reading, just read Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to preach from that next week. Great passage of Scripture. Lots of encouragement. Read it. Let God speak to you. Be blessed. See you next Sunday. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.